Well, good morning. Let's do this again. We haven't done that in a while. We'll practice. Good morning. Hey, good morning online. Thanks so much for being here. Hey, go ahead and grab your Bibles. We're in 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. You can go uh, grab your phone, whatever it is, tablet. We'll be in 1 John chapter 4. As you know, we're in this series called Love is Our Language. And as we just want to be a people that love is our language, we want to be a church. And when people experience us, when they hear us, when they see us, that that's what they experience, that they experience love is our language. And when you look at what Jesus has to say, Jesus says, was asked, what's the greatest commandment? Like, how do we live? Like, what's the best? Everybody always wants to know what's number one. And so uh, what Jesus said was to love God and love people. It's this idea of loving people because God loves us. And then Paul was the guy that wrote about love. He said this, uh, he was talking about this church and how all the things they were trying to do to look like they were winning, to look like they knew God, to look like they were perfect. And Paul said this, he says, now let me show you a way of life that is best of all. Let me show you a way of life that is best of all. And Paul begins to unpack love. And he begins to talk about what it looks like. And we, we examined some of that last week. You know, there was a theologian named Karl Barth. Karl Barth wrote millions of words about God. He had his, this five-volume work of that all were, you know, over the 700-page range, five volumes. He knew a lot about God, right? A lot of information, had done a lot of learning and studying. And somebody asked him, hey, if, if, towards the end of his life, says, if you could kind of capture it all in a sentence or a statement, what would you say about God? Like, what would, it, what would it look like? What would be your definition? And he said, Jesus loves me, this I know. Remember that song? For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. And even in that simple phrase, it's profound and powerful and life-changing. And in those words, Jesus wages war against everything that would hold us back. You know, and when you love something or somebody or somebody loves you, it changes you. It changes you. Think about this, like there's something you love and you talk about it all the time. Anybody? You've been to a restaurant recently and you're like, well, maybe you haven't been to a restaurant. You're eating something good. That was a bad example, wasn't it? Uh, and you're like, oh, I love that. You know, when I was a kid, like I love hamburgers. I love French fries. It changes how you talk. It changes how you spend your money. Anybody got a hobby they spend just a little too much money on? Just a little bit? Anybody, any shoppers in the house that need to just repent today? Let's go. Um, both my hands are up. Hello, Amazon. But when you love something, right, you're going to spend money on it. When you love something, you're going to learn about it. You're going to spend time learning about it. What did they do before Google's, by the way? I mean, how did they learn? Anybody remember the World Book Encyclopedia? Um, but you learn about it. You go all in and it, and it changes you. And here's the, the question we want to pose, kind of what we want to unpack. It's like, what, how does God's love change me? Like, how does it change me? Because we've heard this idea that God is love. We talk about love. It feels like this sentimental passive word that doesn't have a lot of power or teeth or help but what does it look like for God's love to change me when I get up tomorrow morning on Monday to go to work how am I different how do I see differently how do I think differently how do I spend my money differently how do I learn differently how do I how do I relate to people differently how do I handle conflict differently like what is going to be different about me and so that's what we want to unpack today so in John we have that first John chapter 4 verse 7 obviously John is written by the apostle John John also wrote the book of John he wrote first second third John he also wrote the book of Revelation and so what I want to do today is unpack some of the words that he writes there and then at the end I want to talk about how God's love changed John and why he's writing these words so in verse 7 it says this beloved let us love one another for love is from God whoever loves has been born of God and knows God anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love 
In this, the love of God was made manifest or demonstrated among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Now, don't forget God's son is Jesus. Verse 10, and this is love, not that we have loved God, but he loved us. And he sent his son to be the propitiation or the satisfaction for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Like that's a lot of love words in that one little, little phrase, isn't it? One little paragraph. He uses the word love over 13 times, I believe, in, the, in that one short little power-packed passage. And, and he starts out just painting this picture that God is love. And, and so what does that even look like? You know, what it looks like for God to be love is like he's for our highest good. Now, God is love. It means that, man, that's what wires him together, that God's essence is love. Now, it's not the only thing that God is. There's some other um, attributes of God. For instance, God's holy. So we know that God is not only love, but it says that God is love. So, so if God, if God had a cell phone and he were to hold it up to his face and it would open based on facial recognition, that phone would open because it sees love in God's face. Like this is what John is trying to unpack for us. And God's love is for our highest good, our highest good. And sometimes we have some misconceptions about what love looks like and what it feels like and what our experience with love can be. Um, But it's for our highest good. Sometimes we think that love is only the things that are supposed to make us happy. Like you love things that make you happy, don't you? Like you you love things that make you happy. Like when I was a kid, there were some things I didn't love. Broccoli. Can you say broccoli? Right? I mean, there are some things that you didn't love. Why? It didn't make me happy. And we tend to think that things that we love is this experience of happiness. But, man, our lives aren't always happy. Now, now here's the reality. Like, God wants us to be happy. It's not that. But God has the long-range plan in view. And God's purpose, again, is our highest good. So it's not just to make us happy. But as they say, it's to make us holy. It's to make us different. It's to make us changed. It's to make us into somebody differently. And so think about it like this. If when uh, maybe you go to a doctor and nobody likes going to the doctor in general, right? Like you got to go to the doctor. It means something bad's going to happen because maybe just maybe they're going to actually cause more pain than you're in to fix a problem. Like when you're a kid and you got, you got to go to the doctor, you just start screaming because what's going to happen? They're going to give you a shot. And back then they had like the needles when I was a kid, like this big, you know, this big around. And it was going to be painful. However, it was, in my, it was for my best interest. It was, may cause some pain. If you've ever had a bone broken, you know that the doctor is going to come in and set that bone. And sometimes it's going to be painful in the moment, but it's for our greatest good. This is the way our parents raised most of us. That we, they would take us through difficulty because they knew that difficulty is going to determine how we handle the future. And, and, and with the rise of helicopter parents, what, what ends up happening, I know that nobody in here would be a helicopter parent. Amen. Nobody, but, but think about a helicopter parent. They got to be sure their kid gets in the right class. And then they're always being sure their uh, assignments are due on time. And then if they get into a conflict at school, all of a sudden it's some big political agenda, right? And they got to go fix that. And then they get them to get into college. They fill out all the forms they need and they record the video and they are sure that every, their housing form gets turned in on time. Their housing deposit gets turned in on time. And then when they go to get a job, they actually apply for them for the job. And then they actually show up in the job interview. This has happened before. And even if they don't, show up what happens is the kid will turn their phone on so the parents can listen to what's happening and then they get the job and then they get a bad a job performance review and then they try to then they try to get them engaged to and they kind of tell them how to get engaged and who they should marry and all that ends up happening you know what happens 
They end up broke, unemployed, and divorced because they don't know how to handle difficulty. They haven't learned to grow. Now, that would not happen to any of us. But difficulty is what prepares us. And because God's great love for us, because he has our highest good in mind, he's going to let us go through difficulty. He's going to let us deal with some bad decisions. He's going to let us grow. He's going to help us develop the tenacity that we need to make it to the end of our lives married to the same person. He's going to give us the hope that we need to have confidence in the midst of depression. Man, he's going to give us the willingness and the farsightedness to keep moving when things get difficult. This is, this is, what, is, is what it means for God to be loved. And this is how it changes us. God is love. Anybody ever faced a difficulty in here? Thought, man, what is this about? What's going on with this? Let me ask you this question. What difficulties have changed you? What difficulties have changed you? You know, you'll meet somebody, they'll go through a difficulty. They'll, they'll, they'll say, you're like, I, I don't want to do that again, but I wouldn't trade what it did for anything. What difficulties have changed you? God is love. and His, his great desire is our highest good. His great desire is our highest good. Did you, anybody have parents that said this? This will hurt me more than it hurts you. Anybody have that? Anybody believe that trash? I think for God it may actually be true. He doesn't want to see us in pain or hurt, but he knows. He knows that there's some things that we need to go through in order to grow into the person he's created us to be. Now, it, let me go on. To, I'm going to jump into verse 7 again. He says this, Beloved, beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And he goes on to say, Anyone who does not love God, does not love, does not know God, because God is love. Now notice the first word as he addresses, as John addresses his audience. He uses this word beloved. He actually uses it again down in verse 11. And what he's trying to do here is to change our identity, to help us see ourselves differently. Because this is what love does. Man, love changes your identity. Love changes who you are. Love changes us. Now, now we don't sometimes, uh, we're not really good at receiving love sometimes, right? If you think about this, maybe some of you are married. How many married folks in the house today? Online, throw out a clapping emoji so and even if you're not married maybe you've done this maybe you said maybe your spouse has said I love you what's your response to that like what, what do you what, what do you say back to that do you say well thank you nobody do you say I'm so glad not generally we generally say I love you back am I right anybody that's generally what we do because we don't know how to receive love very well we don't know how to receive love very well. So the next time your spouse says, I love you, you're to say, thank you. I'm awesome. But in this, what John is trying to paint this picture that we get this new identity. We are new people. We are a new creation is what John is saying. We, we, just to be loved by God doesn't mean we just get this ticket into heaven. And sometimes that's kind of the level of our spiritual understanding of what happens when we get into a relationship with God. It's like, i God loves me, so I'm going to heaven. And that's pretty awesome in it's of itself, but it's not like that. We, 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 we treat it a little bit like the voice. Anybody ever watch the voice? You know what I'm talking about? So like nobody, okay. Um, Y'all making this hard. Now, but I love the voice, right? The voice is a show where someone comes out, they want to be a singing superstar, and there are four judges, and the judges have their back turns towards them. And when they hear them sing, if they like them, they'll turn their chair around because they want them to be on their team. And so Blake Shelton will turn his chair around. He'll stand up and he'll say, like, I want you on my team. And he'll start doing this, if you've ever seen it. My team, my team. And sometimes this is how we treat being loved by God. 
We think, well, I get to be on his team. I get to get into heaven and it has no bearing on my everyday life. But we have a new identity now. It starts now. Even Jesus got this, this voice this, from, from God. When Jesus got baptized, he, uh, he was roughly 30 years old, starts his ministry. And Jesus goes and he gets baptized. And when he gets baptized, he comes up out of the water. And God says to him, out loud, audible voice, this is my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. In Mark chapter 1, verse 11. This is my beloved son. He uses the same word that John is using for us. That we're different. That we're a new creation. So, so if you understand about baptism, and we're going to baptize next week, as Ryan talked about next week, and Ryan talked about just a little bit earlier, and baptism is this picture of somebody becoming new. It's this picture of a new birth that you go into the water as if you're dying to the old way of life, dying to sin, dying to self, dying to the world, and you're raised to walk in a new way of life. And so when someone is baptized, we say that. We take them under the water and we say, buried with Christ in the likeness of his death, the same way that he died, raised to walk in a new way of life. And we don't hold you under very long unless you're really bad. Um, but it's just this symbol. And some of you need to do that. Some of you have never done that once you've made this step to follow God. But it's because you have a new identity. We, we have this symbol. It's not the fact that you get wet or anything magical happens in the water. But what happens is this step of identifying because guess what? I have a new identity. God's love has changed me into a new person. Um, uh, there's a, all of us, are, our identity is made up of a lot of different pieces, right? So if someone were to talk to you about who you are, there's a lot of things you may use. You know, if you're, if you're single, you say, well, I'm single and I live here and I work here. Or if you're married, you'll identify as being married. And if you have kids, you say, well, I'm a dad. And that's kind of one piece of your identity. It's almost like we have this pyramid of all these blocks that make up our identity. Some of them are really small and some of them are really big. And, and, and what can happen is at the base level of the pyramid of who we are, God's love has to be there. Because if God's love is not at the base level, nothing else can hold up the weight of our lives. So think about this. If you put money as the base of the, the foundation of your life, your identity, what's going to happen when the market turns south or when the market goes up? It's always going to be, I need just a little more. Or if you actually get whatever it is you're going for, it's like, what's next? And the thing about God is like, he's never ending. He's the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega. He's got to be at the bottom. He's got to be at the foundation. If you put somebody else there as the foundation of your identity, they can't hold up under that weight. Like if you, if you were to put a spouse or prospective spouse or a desired spouse uh, at, the, at the foundation of your identity, they can't hold up that. Your life's too heavy for that. And what ends up happening is, is you do everything you can to make them love you and you're not really loving them. You're using them. And you're using them to try to get love back. And it's going to all crumble because one day they're going to be gone. One day, whether through death or some other, some other circumstance, they're not going to be there to be the foundation of your life. And if you banked your life on them as your foundation, your life's going to crumble. The only thing that can be there is God's love. Now, now here's a little bit of a different way of looking at it. We think that I love God, that's the foundation of our lives. We think I love God is the foundation of our lives. And it's not. It's not what John's saying here. Because I love God's dependent on me. The foundation of my life is that God loves us. God loves me. He never changes. He never will forsake us. And this will change how we see our lives. When God loving me 
the fact that he is unchanging is at the foundation of my life. Guess what? I can live with confidence. Because it doesn't matter my circumstances. My, my circumstances don't have to be stable because my foundation is. I can live without, I can live with less anxiety. I can live without anxiety because I don't have to worry about the future because I know who holds the future. I can live without depression. I can live with more hope. I can live with more joy simply because I know God loves me. It's not dependent on me. It's completely dependent on his character. And that would not work if he weren't love. See, God is love, so he will love me. And he promises to love me. Hey, this will change how you pray. This will change how you pray. How many people would say they're not very good at praying? Right? I mean, I think there's a lot of us in the room. Like, I'm just not very good at praying. And sometimes we think it's a mechanical issue. We just don't know the words to say. But the reality is our, our, our inability to pray isn't always a praying issue. It's a love issue. We don't recognize how loved we are. We don't recognize that the God of the universe, the God whose, whose shoes are the clouds, the God whose love is higher, not just in mountains, but higher than the heavens, the God whose love is so deep that he can breathe the oceans would spread out and you still couldn't reach the depth of God's love. His love that runs after people who are lost and runs after people who run from him, who does everything, takes it all the way to cross. Like that God loves us and we get to talk to him and ask him to change our lives. We get to lean into him every single day. Listen, it should change how you wake up every morning. That you wake up with this certainty that, that God loves me. And you wake up with this ability to talk to God and ask God into your life. You wake up with, and prayer is not just a habit. And it moves from I just know some things about God to I know God. Like this is what John is trying to communicate to us. God loves you. should change everything about you. should change how you see yourself, how you see your life. And then John goes on in verse 11, he says this, he says, beloved, there he says it again, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God's, God abides in us and his love is perfected through us. So, 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 so the proof of God is actually how we love other people. It feels like a lot of pressure, doesn't it? Like the proof of God's existence is how we love other people. This is very disruptive. It's very disruptive because if you're going to love other people, if you're going to live your life for somebody else's highest good, it's going to cost you. Somebody say amen right there. Like, first of all, people are hard to love. Hello? Anybody else hard to love besides me in the house? Like, people are hard to love. It's going to cost you to love people. It's going to cost you some time. It's going to cost you some discomfort. You know, love will always tell the truth. You know, we tend to think that love just kind of lets people do what they want to do, even if it's stupid even if it's gonna cause their destruction, even if we disagree with it. But love doesn't do that. Love steps in and tells the truth. Like Jesus tells one of his closest followers, get behind me, Satan. Calls him a dirty name. Why? Because he didn't have the highest good in mind. He, he tells one guy, says, Jesus, I wanna follow you, but first let me, go and, let me go and bury my family. Jesus says, nah, let the dead bury their own dead. Like Jesus is always willing to step into the truth and sometimes that's what love means for us. Like there is somebody that you know that's walking down a path of destruction, walking down a path away from God, you need to stop them. Like they're about to walk off the edge of a cliff and you don't know what to do, but you feel like loving them is just being nice. Love is not always nice. It's always kind, isn't always nice. Man, we need to tell the truth. It's gonna take time. It's gonna take time. Sometimes I don't want to love people because it's going to take time. Have you ever been in the grocery store? You turn the aisle and you see somebody and you know it's going to be a long conversation. You know how that is? 
That never happens to me. And you go the other way. Not, not me, but you. It's going to take some time. It's going to take some disruption. But that's how people know God, is if, is if we love people well. It's going to take some money. It's going to take your resources. It's going to take generosity. You know, as they say, Jesus talks more about money than most every other topic because he knows that's the one thing we tend to love the most. But what's crazy is the more we give away and the more generous we are, the less we care, the less we care about it. And Jesus' life was marked by generosity. And the great commandment is to love people. It's to love people. Like, can you think of anybody you need to take some steps to love today? What steps do you need to take to love someone today? Like, who do you need to pick up the phone and call? Who do you need to text? What check do you need to write? What, what, what lunch do you need to set up? Like, like, who do you need to love? Well, what steps do you need to take? The world's depending on it. John is saying that the proof of God is in us and our lives. And then he says, if you don't love, you don't know God. Like, that's really scary. If you don't love, you don't know God. Then he goes on in verse, in, a little bit before in verse 9, he talks about how God demonstrated his love. So in verse 9, he says, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation or the satisfaction for our sins. Right? He, he demonstrated this. He demonstrated his love. Like, like, what kind of crazy love is that, that you would serve yourself up to be executed? Like, that's, that's a love that wages war. That's a love that is rugged. That's a love that has staying power. That's a love that we can count on. Man, that's a love that's sacrificial. You know, we think love is so sentimental sometimes, and it's a lot more sacrificial than sentimental. Amen, somebody? Like, love will pour its life out for you, and it will give you everything. This, um, and three weeks from today, um, three weeks from yesterday, my daughter's getting married. Come on, somebody clap for me. So I'm getting all my crying out today because I'm not crying at the wedding. Anybody want to give me some money if I don't? Um, so as we're, she's in town this weekend and um, I, I was going through some pictures and like of when she was younger, a baby, adolescent, whatever. And I was just looking at all these pictures and man, I thought of how awesome she turned out. I'm, I'm crying because my head hurts. Um, and I thought how awesome she turned out. And, I, and so that was fun. Just a lot of uh, memories are cool. And that's very sentimental, right? Very sentimental. And then I thought of all the times that I blew it. I thought of all the, the times I didn't do what I should have done. And I did some things right, I guess, because she did turn out awesome. But uh, I, you know, I thought of all the mistakes that I made, all the times I was selfish, all the times I was prideful, all the times I parented because of me, not because of her. And then I thought of my wife and how my wife was the perfect mom and how she sacrificed and how she gave and how she poured her life out. And that's one of the big reasons why my daughter is amazing. Now, I want you to translate that exponentially into God's love, that God loves us so much that he sacrificed it all for us in a perfect way for our highest good so that we could have life is what John is saying. That even when we ran, even when we sinned, even when we did things that were unlovable, God loved us anyway. Even in the worst things that we've done, God loves us. And we have proof 
that Jesus died, that Jesus rose from the dead. We have proof. Listen, this should give us some certainty to walk in times of chaos. Man, when the days get dark and you don't, seem, don't feel like you know which way to go, you can remember God's love because of the demonstration on the cross. This is the power of love. And this is why love will change us. Let me tell you how love changed John, John the apostle. John started following Jesus when he was probably in his mid-teens. John was a fisherman. And so he was a little rough around the edges. And, and John began to follow Jesus as a teenager. And there was this one time when John, they, they, they're going to go into a village. And Jesus says, hey, go into the village, set it up for me, tell people I'm coming. They go into the village and they come back. And John tells Jesus, hey, they don't want you to come in. You want me to call fire down and strike them dead? It just tells you a little bit about John's personality. Can you imagine MMA fighter back in Jesus' day? That's what John was. John, Jesus gave him a nickname, him and his brother, Sons of Thunder. Like, what do you have to do to be a son of thunder? Like, you're a disruptive person. You're very violent. That's the kind of person you are. And this is the nickname that John gets. There's this point that Jesus is walking and John and James, his brother, and the other disciples are behind him and they're arguing. And Jesus turns to him, he says, what are you arguing about? Now, be clear, Jesus already knew because he is God, but he wanted them to know. He found out they were arguing about which one is the greatest. So this is John, always wanting to be number one. Not only that, John has his mom approach Jesus and says, hey, Jesus, you know, my boy John and his brother James, I want for them to sit on your right and left hand when you come into your kingdom. Helicopter parent, right? (laughs) This is John for himself, rugged, raw. And then something happens. His title shifts from son of thunder to the loved one of Jesus. That that became his nickname, the one who Jesus loves. Jesus is dying on the cross. He looks out at John and he looks at his mom and he says, hey, John, take care of my mom. What kind of person do you have to be at that point for someone asks you to take care of their mom? This is John. This is his transformation. This is the change that John had in his life. As John moves towards the end of his life, he's the only disciple that did not get martyred. The only one. So John writes about love after his good friends Peter and Paul lost their heads in Rome. John was dropped in boiling oil and survived. How did he survive? Man, it was just that love had changed him. And then John finds himself exiled off on an island for punishment and persecution, and John continues to write the words that God is love. Listen, John, John was radically transformed by something as simple as Jesus loves me, this I know. Let's pray together. So just in the The quietness of the moment, whether you're online, wherever you are, man, just stop what you're doing. In the room with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, 
Some of us don't understand how much God loves us. Man, we feel so unloved, unlovable, or we feel like it doesn't matter. It's, it's neutral. It doesn't really do anything. But the reality is when you know that God loves you, it changes everything. It changes how you see yourself. It's better than self-esteem. It's, it's more than self-confidence. It's different than self-worth. Man, it is God is love at the foundation of your life. And so maybe you've never experienced that today. Maybe this is a step you need to take. That you've known some things about God, but you haven't known God's love in your life that was demonstrated on the cross. God is good. He has your best interest in mind, your highest good in mind. Jesus came to solve our problem of sin. And maybe today you need to take a step to ask him to forgive you and to just follow him. Now with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, as we already mentioned prayer, one of the things that we want to do is when you decide to follow Jesus, you respond to him in prayer. You respond to a God who is good. To ask him, the very first thing is to give you life, to forgive you of your sins and give you life. So if that's you today, I'm just going to lead you in a prayer. And it's not my words that make it effective, it's your heart. So if that's you today, just repeat these words after me. Dear God, I've done some unloved things. (laughs) I've sinned, but I know you love me anyway. I receive your love today. I believe that Jesus died on the cross and demonstrated his love for me. I want to be a new person, a new creature, a new creation in Jesus' name. And just with our heads bowed and eyes closed, hey, if that was you, you're a new person, a new identity. God's changing you. You want to mark that moment today. So just as we keep our heads bowed and eyes closed in this moment, if that's you today, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to count to three and just ask you to slip your hand in the air. Whether you're in the room, whether you're online, I'm going to ask you just to slip your hand in the air on the count of three. One, two, three. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank you, God. Now, for some of you, you're living under some guilt and shame you need, to, you need to let go of right now. God doesn't love you any less because of your sin. He demonstrated his love for you by sending his son for your sin. And you need to let it go. You need to quit living under the weight and the burden of regret and shame and guilt. You need to quit letting it hold you back. You need to quit letting it quiet you in every conversation, prevent you from taking risks, prevent you from being bold. You need to step back from that today. You need to let it go. And you need to remember that God loves you. That's the foundation of your life. Man, it's not what you've done. It's God. And then all of us, we need to love people this week. We need to love people better. And we need to take some steps to love people. God, help this reality, this truth that's been so sentimentalized, just take deep root in our souls this morning. It would change us at every turn. It would change how we think. It would change how we respond. It would change how we react, God, that it would transform our lives the way it transformed the Apostle John. And we just pray in Jesus' name, amen. You know, we're going to close out today just with a brief response to God's love. Because when you know you're loved, there's a response. You know, for some of you, maybe you raise your hand. We would love to be able to follow up with you. For some of you, maybe the step for you is to get baptized next week, just to go public with this profession that God loves you. So let's stand together and let's respond through worship.